Hello, I'm Pastor Daniel Flukey from St. Peter Lutheran Church in Green, Iowa. Today is Sunday, February 20th, and it's the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany. I was gone the last two weeks with family in Wisconsin and at a conference in Minneapolis, so it's good to be back with you today. Thank you for joining me for this scripture reading and a message. Here at St. Peter, we've begun celebrating our 150th anniversary year, so thank you to everybody who came and got your pictures taken this week for the new church directory. When you drive by the church building, make sure to check out the new signboards on the front of the church building. You can't miss them. They're very bright and vibrant. And thank you to Don Dinas Christensen and everybody who helped with such a beautiful presentation of our theme for this year. Our theme of gratitude for our past, joy in our present, and faith for our future as a congregation. All based on the verse, Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Next weekend will be the first week in our series of guest preachers as part of the celebration. We'll have Pastor Lynn Knoll with us. Many of you uh, probably had Norma for Sunday school or helped teach with her or remember uh, Norma Knoll who lives next door to church. Lynn is her son. He grew up here. Many of you know him as well. And he serves uh, in Postville as a Lutheran pastor. So he will be with us on Saturday and Sunday, February 26 and 27. So I hope you'll be able to come in person because there won't be a sermon video next week with him doing the preaching. Um, so I hope you'll be here in person. Hope to see you next week. Otherwise, I will have a video next week, or two weeks away, on March 6th with the next sermon video. Today, we are looking at a great character from the book of Genesis. There are 50 chapters, 5-0, 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. And the first couple are about God creating the world. That's what the word Genesis means, beginning. So it's stories of God creating the world, Adam and Eve, sin entering the world, the flood, Noah's Ark. Abraham and Sarah get a couple chapters with God promising that they're going to have all these descendants and fill the earth. And his elderly wife, Sarah, laughs at God's promise because she's quite elderly and doesn't see how it's possible. There's some stories about Abraham almost sacrificing his son Isaac. Fun stories about Isaac's son Jacob tricking his older brother Esau, his older twin, out of his inheritance and in turn being tricked into marrying his fiancée's sister before he can also marry his beloved Rachel, his intended wife. They're all great Sunday school stories, but really all these families in Genesis seem to be pretty dysfunctional. Not exactly what most people picture for biblical family values. But finally, towards the end of the book of Genesis, we get to Jacob's son, Joseph. And that's who we're looking at today. And in some ways, this is the most dysfunctional family of all. But Joseph's story gets 13 of the 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. He's a pretty important character. And we don't talk about him very much. So the reading we'll hear in a bit is a climactic moment in Joseph's story. But in order for it to have meaning, I think you need to hear more of the story. Maybe this is familiar to you. Maybe you remember it from Sunday School or Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. But even if you know the story really well, listen to it today and look for where God is involved, how God is at work through the dysfunction of this family and really the messed up things that happened to Joseph. So the story starts in Genesis chapter 37, when Joseph is 17 years old. 
And he's Abraham's great-grandson, Isaac's grandson, the youngest of Jacob's 12 sons. And he's out in the fields with his brothers. And Joseph is kind of a know-it-all. He's the kind of kid that grown-ups love and his peers basically can't stand. And it doesn't help that his dad, it says, loves him more than any of his other any of his other sons. Great parenting there, Jacob, right? So much so that Jacob has given Joseph this super fancy ornate robe, the coat of many colors. And not surprisingly, Joseph's, Joseph's brothers are jealous of him. So Joseph is out in the fields with his brothers, and he's wearing his fancy coat, and he has a dream. And because he's, frankly, kind of an arrogant jerk, he tells his brothers his dream. He says, Listen, brothers, to this dream I've had. We were all out here tying sheaves of wheat in the field, and my sheaf stood up, and all your sheaves bowed down to it. And then, because this guy seriously has the emotional intelligence of a stump, he tells them another dream. Look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and, hmm, eleven stars were all bowing down to me. What a coincidence. I have eleven brothers. What do you all think of that dream? Isn't that interesting, brothers? Well, sometime after that, the brothers are out in the fields again working, and Joseph is apparently at home. I don't know if he's lounging around or what he's doing, but Joseph is at home, and his father, Jacob, sends Joseph out to check on his brothers, see how things are going out there in the fields with the ones who are doing the hard work. And they see him coming, and they decide, this is it. This is our chance to get rid of our annoying brother, Joseph. And some of them want to kill him, really solve the problem. But the oldest, Reuben, convinces them that, you know, throwing him into a pit, that'll teach him a lesson. And then Reuben plans to come by and rescue him later. But then, as Joseph's getting closer, this caravan of Ishmaelites comes along. And another brother, Judah, convinces the rest of them that, you know, we threw him down into this pit, but, hmm, maybe we can kind of kill two birds with one stone. We can ship Joseph off with these slave traders, and they'll pay us something. So it works out well for everybody, you know, except for Joseph. So Joseph gets sold off as a slave, taken away to Egypt. And his brothers take that fancy coat of his, they dip it in some goat's blood, and they take it home to their father Jacob, and they tell him how sorry they are about this horrible tragedy they've discovered. Some animal must have eaten Joseph. How sad. In Egypt, meanwhile, Joseph ends up serving this guy named Potiphar, who's the captain of Pharaoh's guard, an important figure. And Genesis 39 verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. So Joseph is a slave, a servant in a foreign land. But other than that, everything's really kind of looking up, doing pretty well. Things are going okay for him. Until Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph, and when he refuses her advances, she accuses him falsely of assault, and he ends up in prison. This story's kind of a roller coaster. So Joseph is in prison, and he starts interpreting the dreams of his fellow prisoners. Remember, he'd had his own dreams, he'd interpreted them. One of the prisoners turns out to be the chief cupbearer in Pharaoh's household, sort of the wine taster, an important position. 
And this chief cupbearer tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph gives him a really good, positive interpretation. Says, you're going to get out. And sure enough, he gets out of prison. He's restored to a position of honor in Pharaoh's service. He gets his job back. Another one, another prisoner, is the chief baker. And he tells Joseph his dream, and he, he gets some bad news. Joseph says, these three cake baskets on your head that you dreamed about, well, they mean that in three days, your head is going to be lifted off from your body. Sorry. Sure enough, it happens. If you've seen the movie Encanto, Joseph is a little bit like Bruno, where he interprets the dreams, but he doesn't get to decide what they say. And Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. Meanwhile, eventually, Pharaoh himself, the ruler of all of Egypt, he has a dream. And he learns from his cupbearer about this guy in prison who has this gift of being able to interpret dreams. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and he learns that, fortunately, it starts out with good news. Seven years of plenty are going to be coming, followed by seven years of famine. So Pharaoh believes Joseph, and he appoints him to be the second in command of all of Egypt. Specifically, he's going to be responsible for administering the new national economic plan of storing up food during these seven years of bumper crops so that they're ready for the seven years of famine that are coming. Again, things are going well for Joseph, and he gives credit to God. He gets married, and he names his firstborn son Manasseh, for, he says, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. He has a second son, and he names him Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. So sure enough, after seven years, the famine comes, and everybody in the area outside of Egypt starts to run low on food. Jacob hears that there's grain in Egypt, and so he sends his sons to buy food from the Egyptians. And I'm not going to retell the whole story. You can read it in Genesis chapters 40 through 50. But there's this back and forth exchange where Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize that the Egyptian in charge of all the food is really their younger brother, whom they sold into slavery all those years before. Also, there's another brother who's arrived on the scene now named Benjamin, whom Jacob didn't send along because he was afraid of losing him like he'd lost Joseph. And Joseph really wants to meet his younger brother, Benjamin. He's, he's a full brother uh, with Jacob and Rachel. So it's his only full brother, and he really wants to meet him. And so he comes up with this plan, and he accuses his brothers of being thieves and spies, and he keeps one as a hostage until they bring back their younger brother, Benjamin. And there's several trips back and forth, and there's some trickery involved. And eventually, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, which is the passage I want to read to you today. This is the assigned lectionary text for today. This is from Genesis chapter 45. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years 
in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle here in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them, and after that his brothers talked with him. Here ends the reading. So Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And imagine what those brothers are feeling as they hear that. I don't know the exact dates, but for something like 15 or 20 years, they have lived with this guilt of selling their brother into slavery. They think he's dead, and they've lied about it. They know that they're supposed to be the chosen people, God's people, but they've done this incredible, horrible thing. And they can't ask forgiveness because they can't admit that they've done it. They're carrying a lot of guilt with them. And now it's all out in the open, and Joseph says he forgives them, but what if Joseph wants revenge? Not only does he control the food supplies they need, he's the second most powerful person in all of Egypt, and the pharaoh listens to him. They are not in a good situation here. But Joseph is not the same arrogant jerk he was as a kid. He's grown. He's not interested in having his brothers bow down to them, bow down to him anymore. He says, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me here because of this famine, so that I could be responsible for saving lives. He says, It was not you who sent me here but God. And Joseph's relationship with his family transforms. He refuses to take vengeance. He plays some tricks on his brothers, but eventually he breaks the cycles of deception and dysfunction that have carried through the Genesis story. Instead, he follows what Jesus will preach a couple thousand years later. And this is our gospel story for today. I'll only read a few verses. Jesus says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now that's a tricky passage for us to hear and apply because it's been misused to manipulate people in unhealthy situations. It's been used to manipulate people to staying with their abusers. That is not what Jesus is saying. It is not about cheap forgiveness without repentance. It's not about passivity, like you're supposed to be a doormat for Jesus and let people run over you. No, it's not about trying to short-circuit healing. Joseph, in the story, doesn't forgive his brothers so they can hurt him again. Forgiveness comes only after wrestling with guilt and repentance. It's a long process, not some quick fix. Forgiveness and loving your enemies and praying for those who've caused you harm That does not give anybody a license to keep causing you harm. Instead, it gives you a license to let go. To let go of the anger and the burden and the 
the burden of vengeance that we're so tempted to carry around with us. Joseph's story serves as proof that no amount of sin can disrupt God's plan. The worst plans of your enemies cannot disrupt God's plan for you. God's love for you is not derailed by anything you do or by anything that anyone else does for you, to you. Now, the story is also not saying that everything fits into God's plan. I know several people in my own life recently who've dealt with hard things like pregnancy loss, loss of family members, reoccurrence of cancer, some bad diagnoses. None of that is in God's plan. If anyone tells you that's part of God's plan, you have my permission to slap them and let them practice turning the other cheek. Don't don't actually hit people, but you get the idea. Sometimes bad things just happen. Because this is a broken and sinful world, and that is all the explanation that we get sometimes. But in the midst of this world, this broken, hurting world, this story is evidence that God is at work for good. Sometimes that's hard to believe. Later, after Joseph dies, after, after Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers again get nervous that he's going to want vengeance, which I think is a reminder for us that forgiveness can be hard to accept. But again, Joseph forgives them. He didn't just forgive them because he wanted to make Jacob happy. He forgave them because he wanted to forgive them, to restore that relationship. There's this great verse, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, right at the end of the story, which says, Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. God intended it for good. And that, I think, is the point of the story. God takes even what is meant for evil and redeems it. God redeems our stupidity, our jealousy, our fearful selfishness, and turns it for good. God is working for reconciliation, offering forgiveness. Joseph had plenty of reasons to give up on God in this story, right? He's sold off into slavery by his brothers. He's falsely accused. He's thrown in prison. But he held on to the promise that that wasn't the end of the story. He held on to the promise of faith that God was somehow still at work, that God was not done with him yet. God's story was still unfolding, and that's a promise for you today. God's plan is still unfolding, and God intends good. Let's pray. God of grace and mercy, we give thanks for the ways that you are at work in our world and in our lives. In those times when it can be so hard to see your plan unfolding, so hard to believe that you are at work, help us to trust. Give us faith. Even in those times when it's hard to believe, even you can bring good out of a situation. Give us strength by your Holy Spirit to believe and to trust in your work of redemption in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you for joining me today for this message. If you'd like to donate to support the work uh, here at St. Peter, our ministry, we'd really appreciate it. You can give online at www.stpetergreen.com giving, or you can mail in an offering check or drop it off at the church office. And again, thank you. Thank you for enabling the work we do together. I will see you in two weeks as we enter the season 
of Lent. And our theme this year for Lent for the midweek services, check out the church newsletter or website or Facebook page for updates about when and where those services are. But Wednesday night, starting here at St. Peter with Ash Wednesday. And our theme is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So we'll be exploring that during Lent. Now receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you with grace and mercy. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.